Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Uh, At the end of the Old Testament, uh, or the first covenant that God gave to his people, there is a period of time where God is silent for 400 years. And so when we think about that and we go, well, what does it mean for God to be silent for 400 years? It doesn't mean that God wasn't active in the world. It doesn't mean that there wasn't activity of God. It simply means that in those 400 years from the last words that were written in the book of Malachi to what we have in the gospel of Luke or any of the gospels for that matter, that God is silent in the sense that there are no prophetic writings. He doesn't have any scripture that's being written. There's not a prophetic voice to the people of Israel. There's just a period of time where there's silence, all right? So here's what I want us to do this morning. It's not gonna be on the screen right now. It will appear later, but in Malachi chapter four, here's the last things we see written from God in the Old Testament. It says this, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be, uh, will stumble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then will you trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel." See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and I'll strike the land with total destruction. So that's the last words that are written from the Old Testament period before God kind of takes this period of time where he's not prophetically speaking. He doesn't have a prophet to the nation of Israel. There's no new scripture that's being written. There's just kind of this silence from God. And so what we find in that is that while the Old Testament is uh, taking place and moving into this New Testament period, this period of 400 years is a really volatile time in the world. We kind of see it and we go, okay, we'll we'll finish reading Malachi, we'll turn the page and we'll read Matthew and we'll just jump right in, right? But in 400 years, if you think about it, our country is about 245 years old. Has there been a lot that's happened in the last 245 years? Yeah, absolutely, right? There's a lot of things that have taken place. Now imagine 400 years. What's happened between the last page of the Old Testament and the first page of the New Testament? Well, last year we studied the book of Daniel and Daniel made prophecies about what would take place before the Messiah would come. And so in this period of time, in these 400 years, a lot of this takes place. We see the Babylonian empire fall, the Persian empire rise to power, the Persians fall to Greece under the leadership of uh, Alexander the Great. Alexander leads the, the Greeks to take over a vast majority of the world. They're the dominant superpower, but Alexander dies at a young age. And Alexander leaves his kingdom to four generals. And so there's division in the kingdom. And these four generals essentially go to war against one another, trying to to fight for territory and become the dominant forces. 
And so what we see in the middle of that is that Israel is right in the middle of all of this. The northern kingdoms that are coming from, from the north, the southern kingdoms out of Africa that are coming up and fighting against each other, and Israel's kind of right in the middle. But what happens in the middle of this kind of civil war between the Greeks is that they lose power, they lose dominance, and they kind of fall. And there's this window of time in Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, that's known as the Maccabean Revolt where the Maccabees raised up the Jewish people to come and fight against the Greeks and they retake Jerusalem and they reclaim power for themselves under what's known as the Hasmonean or Hasmonean dynasty. It's a period of time for about 91 years when the Jewish people are again kind of in charge of their own land and, and they're living and doing their things. They re-implement temple worship. They also set up synagogues. This is a new idea that was not taking place in the Old Testament, but by the time you turn into the New Testament, you see things like synagogues around. You're like, where do the synagogues come from? Well, they were developed during this period of time. We also see several groups of people in Israel kind of rise to power. There are the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. And if you read the Old Testament, you go, wait a minute, I never saw those groups before. And then in the New Testament, they're just there. And we're just supposed to be like, where did they come from? Well, they were kind of implemented during this season of life in these 400 years period of time between the Old Testament and the New, excuse me, the New Testament. But then another power rises, and that's the Romans, right? And when Rome comes into power, they reclaim or they take over Jerusalem, they take over Israel, and now the Jewish people are living under Roman occupation and rule. And it's into that setting that Luke is writing his gospel. And that Luke is starting to fill in what's taken place from the Old Testament into the New Testament and how have things picked up. And so he tells us at the very beginning of his gospel in verses five through eight, he kind of starts saying some things along the lines of, hey, there's this guy, this King Herod, and he's been in charge. And so it's just to give us kind of a place setting in history to know who's ruling. But he really wants us to focus on two different people. So in Luke 1, 6 and 7, we read about a man and his wife named Zechariah, and Elizabeth. And here's what Luke writes about them. It says, both of them, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So Zechariah and Elizabeth were not sinless, but they were proclaimed to be righteous, which means that they did what was right in the eyes of God. They always strived to do what was right in the sight of God. And so they're faithful to God. Now, here's why I think that's important and why I wanted to focus on this verse a little bit today. It's because in the middle of their righteousness, in the middle of their faithfulness, we see this key word that happens so many times in scripture, the word but, right? They were faithful they were righteous, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees, but what? They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Now, here's what encourages and challenges me about Zechariah and Elizabeth. They followed God no matter what. Their heart to be righteous, to be faithful, was that they would say, God, no matter what comes along, we are going to follow you. They had been praying for a child for years, but their prayers had been unanswered. And they've been praying in the middle of this period of time where there's been no word from God. There's been no testament of God's faithfulness to Israel. There's no new word. There's no scripture. And in the middle of all that, they're continuing to be faithful to God and pray to God. And so in the middle of all of that, I would ask us the question, how many of us have that same type of faith? I mean, it's likely if you're like me, 
that you've wrestled with things in your life with God, where you've kind of had to ask the questions, God, when you're not doing what I'm asking you to do, when you're not answering prayers the way that I want you to answer my prayers, what am I going to do? Am I going to be faithful or am I going to jump off the Jesus bandwagon and go do something else? Man, I'm, I'm great with Jesus as long as he's giving me what I want. I'm great with Jesus as long as he's answering my prayers the way I want. I'm great with Jesus as long as life is good and everybody's healthy and there's nothing really wrong. I'm great with all of that. But what happens when life doesn't go your way? What happens when the but comes into your world? Are you faithful and obedient or do you jump off? You go, no, this wasn't what I signed up for. I thought God was just going to give me everything I wanted and take care of everything that I wanted. But we need to be like Zechariah and Elizabeth and change our focus. Life hadn't broken for them the way they had wanted, but they remained committed to God. And so here's what I want us to see this morning. If you're taking notes, just write this down and, and try to grab a hold of this because I think it's important. When God doesn't give us the desires of our hearts, he still looks for faithfulness. When God doesn't give you the desire of your heart, he still looks for faithfulness. And maybe you've been one of those people that for years have prayed. Maybe you've prayed for a spouse and it hasn't come your way. Maybe you've prayed for a child and it hasn't come your way. Maybe you've prayed about a a job that you've wanted and desired and it hasn't broken your way. Maybe you've prayed for a child who's rebelled and run away and it hasn't gone back your way. Whatever it is that you're praying for, The thing that God is looking for in the middle of all of this, when God doesn't give us the desires of our hearts, he still desires our faithfulness. And that's what we're called to be doing. And so a huge element of faith says, God, I'll trust you even when you don't give me my hopes and dreams. So here's a question for you to think about. What does adversity do to your faith? When adversity comes up in your life, What does it do to your faith? Does it strengthen you to run to God and be on your knees before him and desire him and look for him? Or does adversity cause you to run away and to rebel against and to say, you didn't give me what I wanted, so I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to do what you want. We're like little children in that way sometimes. God, you didn't give me what I wanted. I'm just going to go to my room and slam the door. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. God's going, no, what I really want you to do is even in the middle of these things, when the but comes into life, is that you'll be faithful and that you'll walk with me in righteousness and you'll be obedient. So what happens in life when things don't go as you've hoped, when trouble comes instead of blessings? Are you a fair weather friend? Are you a fair weather follower? Uh, and man, I would put that into context a little bit this way, and it's really silly, but I'll do it anyway. But I'm a big Tennessee Volunteers fan. I like Tennessee football. I like Tennessee basketball, all the stuff around Tennessee. Uh, but my brother asked me a couple of weeks ago when we found out, hey, Tennessee's going to get a bowl game. We're going to go somewhere and we're going to play. Do you want to go with me? Let's go to this bowl game together. And I was like, man, that sounds awesome. I'm hoping for Tampa. I'm hoping for Orlando. Let's go somewhere warm. It's December. Let's go there. And then when the bowls came out, do you remember what we got, Tennessee fans? We got Nashville, the Music City Bowl right? So we're going to Nashville. And he was like, you want to go? And I was like, not really. Nashville in December for four hours outside in the cold doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. We don't know if it's going to snow. We don't know if it's going to rain. We don't know if it's going to be 20 degrees or 65 degrees. It could be beautiful. I don't know, but I'm a fair weather friend (laughs) and I will stay in my house and watch on my couch in the heat and I will be just fine with that. I can turn the fireplace on if I want to. It's cold outside, right? 
And so when things don't break our way in sports for my fandom, I may just stay home and be a fair weather friend. But when it comes to our faith, I pray. I pray that I'm not like that in my faith. I pray that when things don't go my way and when the breaks don't happen for me the way I wanted them to, that I don't run off and say, God, then I'm just going to stay on the couch. I'm not going to do what you wanted. I'm just going to look for my, my safety, my comfort, my peace, and I'm going to do it my way. So what happens when adversity comes along? For Elizabeth, this was more than not just having a child. In their culture, this was a disgrace. For her to not be able to have a child was, was a disgrace to her, to her family. The culture looked at things in this period of time and when if you don't have a child or, or if you have a, a defect of some kind or, or an abnormality, if you've got something wrong with you, then you must have sinned. There must be something in your life against God that you're not in favor with him because God blesses those who walk with him in righteousness and obedience. That was just the perception that they had. In fact, even in Jesus's time, when Jesus is with his disciples, do you remember the story when they walk up on a guy who's been born blind? In his whole life, he's been blind. And his disciples, when they see the guy on the side of the road begging for help, they go, Master, hey, tell us who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he's blind. Somebody had to have done something wrong that this guy would have to go through all of his life without sight. So who was it, Jesus? Who sinned, his parents or him? Do you remember Jesus' answer? This is my paraphrase. Neither. This all happened so that God could be glorified. And what does Jesus do? He goes to the man and he heals his sight. He goes, this is for the glory of God that this take place. But that was the perception. And for Elizabeth, there's likely a stigma in the community around her because she's barren. There's no one to carry on the family name. There's no one to take care of them in their old age. And now she and Zechariah are past the opportunity to enjoy the benefit of having kids. Right? Well, maybe not. Let's check out the rest of the story. Here's Luke chapter 1, verses 11 through 17. In verses 8 through 10, we're told that Zechariah was a part of the priestly division, that it was his division's turn to be in temple worship uh, in the temple in Jerusalem. And by lots, his name is chosen to be the one who goes into the temple on this specific day and burn incense to God. And so Zechariah is chosen for that assignment. And then here's what we find in verses 11 through 17. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, there are several things that I want us to touch on here for just a minute. Zechariah, number one, thinks he's alone in the temple. 
But he goes in and a table with incense is burning. And as he goes to light it, an angel standing there. Now the inside of the temple, it's kind of dark. Like there's very little light. They have uh, candles that are burning and they have this table of incense. And so it's a very dim, dark kind of place inside of here. So this angel is just standing. I don't know if you've ever experienced somebody jumping out and scaring you in kind of a dark space before. But when Zachariah goes to light this incense, the angel stands forward and Zachariah is terrified, right? Like it says, he's scared. He's mortified by what's going on here. He's, he's terrified in this. And so the angel has to speak to him and go, hey, listen, don't be afraid. Right now, here's what's going to be important for us in the next few weeks. And we're going to see over the whole story of Christmas, angels take prominent place. And every time they show up, there's fear involved. An angel shows up and somebody's afraid. And the angel has to speak peace to them. Hey, don't worry. It's okay. I'm not going to do anything to hurt you. Chill out, relax, it's all right, right? And so the angel speaks peace to Zechariah. And not only that, but he says something fascinating. He says to him, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife will bear you a son and you're to call him John. Now here's the second thing that I think is amazing about this. Just imagine for a moment what this looks like. Zechariah's old, Elizabeth is old, They're past the ages of childbearing, the normal ages of childbearing. They've just stopped. I'm imagining at this, they've stopped praying. Like it's probably been years since they actually prayed, God, give us a child. I think they've probably come to a place where they've just resigned themselves to the reality they're not going to have children. And yet when the angel speaks to him, he says, God has heard your prayers. You go, wait a minute, that probably means... I'm reading between the lines just a little bit. I'll admit that. But that probably means that if Zachariah and Elizabeth have stopped praying for this child that they've wanted for so long, that those prayers stopped several years ago, that God heard them and he responded to them at a time that was appropriate for him. Not in the timing that they desired, but when he desired. God knows what to do with our past prayers. God knows what to do when you get weary of praying. Have you ever been in that situation before? Where you've been like, man, I've been praying for this for such a long time. And, and I just, I've stopped. Because I don't, I don't know what to do anymore. It doesn't seem like God's come through. And so I'm just, I've just stopped. I'm weary of this. And sometimes we need other people to pick us up and pray for us because we can't go on praying in those ways. But what I love about it is God knows what to do with our past prayers. When we become weary of praying, he listens and he responds in his time. And here's the next thing. I love this. God delights in doing the impossible. I mean, he just takes such joy and pleasure in doing what's impossible. He goes, hey, listen, you guys know that as a priest, Zechariah, you know the story of the Old Testament. Zechariah should have heard this and thought to himself, man, this is exactly what God does. This is how God moves. This is the whole story of our people in the Old Testament. This is what God does. He knew the story of Samuel's birth when Hannah had been barren for so long and prayed for a child and, and hadn't received it, but then God finally gave it to him. He knew the story of Abraham and Sarah who were both over 90 years old and God had been promising them a child and it hadn't happened and it hadn't happened, but then they finally have their son. And God, or Zechariah knew the story of Samson. The same situation, Samson's parents were older people and they had been barren. And yet God comes to him and says, I'm going to give you a son. 
And so in all of those things, Zechariah knew the stories from the Old Testament. He knew all about these things, but still he has a hard time believing. And with this birth, birth announcement that the angel is making about this guy named John, God is setting the stage for the Messiah to come into the, to the world. Right? And so earlier we read this passage from Malachi, the last words of the Old Testament, and we're going to put this up in comparison to the first words or some of the first words in the New Testament. Hey, let me read this from Malachi again. Malachi 4, 5, and 6 says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I'll come and strike the land with total destruction. All right, now that's the last words of the Old Testament. If you were just reading the Old Testament and then you just flipped to the book of John, listen to what Jesus or what the, the, the angel Gabriel says about John. Luke chapter 1, verse 17. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Right? So again, if we were just reading the Old Testament and went, man, Malachi says this, turn the page. Luke says this. It's almost as if no time has passed. And because God exists outside of space and time, God is able to do these things. He goes, man, this 400 year gap that's been here, this 400 years of silence, I haven't stopped. I haven't forgotten what I had promised. I'm now doing exactly what I said I was going to do. The last prophecy of the Old Testament is about to be fulfilled. The prophet Elijah will come. He says, John, Jack, Zechariah, your son John is going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And he's going to turn the hearts of the parents to their children. And he's going to bring people to a place where they're ready to receive the Messiah. God is setting the stage for the birth of his son to come into the world. Because when, when Malachi prophesied about this, it's now taking place. It's now being fulfilled. So, for Zachariah, you would imagine that he would go, man, this is incredible. I can't wait to get home and tell Elizabeth about this. Like she is going to freak out. I can't believe it. We're going to have a child. The Gabriel said that we were. That's going to be awesome. But that's not what happens, right? Zachariah has some doubt and he says this, how can I be sure of this? I mean, I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years, which is a great answer, by the way, guys. He doesn't call her old. He goes, she's, you know, well along in years. She's doing okay, but she's a little, you know, but I'm old. He goes, so how is this? How can I be sure? Right? Doubt creeps in. He's skeptical. He doesn't receive the news with joy and excitement. He questions. Right? So let me ask you a couple of things this morning. As we start to wrap this up, let me ask you these two questions. Number one, do you believe what God says? Do you believe what God says? Or where do you have a hard time believing what God says? If there are things in God's word that you, you struggle with, that you wrestle with, is that true? Can I believe it? Is God good? Are all these things that we talk about here at church, are they reliable? Are they worthy of, of my trust? Where do you struggle with what God says? And if you find yourself in a place of unbelief or doubt about the word of God, I just want to challenge you to keep an open mind about things. Keep pursuing God's truth with intellectual honesty to say, is this from my point of view or is God true and I'm just seeing it wrong? Do I have different beliefs than God wants me to have? Like what's different and how do I rectify these things? But present yourself before God and ask him to show you what's true. Do you believe what God says? And then number two, do you believe that God can do whatever he wants? 
Do you hold firmly to this belief that God can do whatever he wants? So when we think about this in our life, a lot of people say they believe that God can do whatever that he wants. And, and they say, man, yeah, God can accomplish anything. I see it in scripture. God's not limited by anything. But then something will come up in your life that seems to be impossible in your mind. And all of a sudden you go, well, maybe God can't do that. Maybe that one's too much for God. I don't know if I can trust God with that. And we tend to see God and go, well, yeah, in, in other people's lives and in the scriptures, God can do whatever he wants. But in my life, maybe not. I just want to remind you and encourage you this morning, no matter what you're going through, God can take care of you. But it's also important to remember that God doesn't have to do whatever we want. It's important for us to place ourselves in a position that we remember that God is sovereign, that he does what's right, that he knows things we don't know, that he knows how the things he's bringing into your life or leaving out of your life will be worked out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. There are some prayers God's just not going to answer, and that's probably okay. And if you want the honest truth, even Jesus experienced that from his father. On the night that he was going to be taken to trial and the next day crucified, Jesus prayed, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. God, can you just take this away? Take this cup, God, this suffering, this wrath that I'm about to experience. Find another way. But Jesus didn't stop with that prayer. The second half of that was, but not my will, but yours be done. And so we have to have that same mentality. God, I, I want to bring my hardships to you. I want to bring my hurts to you. I want to bring my needs to you. And I'm going to lay them at your feet. And I'm going to ask you to do what I want. But I'm going to be okay if you say no. And here's why. Because God, I trust that you're good. And I trust you're going to do what's right. But I also trust that you're going to hold my heart. God is going to take care of your heart. God is going to do what's right and what's best, not just for him, but for you. He knows how to handle your needs because he loves you. He loves you more than anything in the world. And so you can trust him with your heart. What he's looking for in those moments when he doesn't answer our prayers in the ways we want, he's simply looking for faithfulness as we live as his disciples. To go, what if I don't give you the desires of your heart? Will you still be faithful? What if I don't give you what you want? Will you still be obedient? What if I don't answer your prayer the way you wanted? Will you still live in righteousness, holiness, pursuing me, loving me, following me? That's what God's looking for. He's looking for our faithfulness. So for Zechariah, he has this moment of disbelief. And he asked this question, how can I be sure of this? And here's Gabriel's response. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he had stayed in so long in the temple. 
And when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them. But he remained unable to speak. And so Zechariah goes, hey, how can I believe this? What, how, what's going to be the way that I know this is true? And Gabriel goes, okay, how about if you can't talk for nine months? How's that feel to you? I'll just take your ability to speak. So you have now a nine-month vacation from talking. And I just wonder what it was like for Zechariah to go back home to Elizabeth, right? And to get there and not be able to talk. And she's like, well, this is weird. I've been waiting for this moment for a while, maybe. Like, you're just not going to talk? It's like, yeah. But how does he tell her, right? Like, what happened? Like, he's now playing the very first game of, of gestures that ever took place in the world, right? And I'm making, I saw an angel. I don't know. I'm flapping my wings. I mean, he's huge, this big guy. And you and me, we can have a baby, right? Like, what's he going to tell his wife in this moment to convince her of what he saw? And so I just picture Zechariah and Elizabeth going, oh, my gosh. You saw an angel. He told you you wouldn't be able to talk. You're not able to talk. Is this going to be real? Are we going to have this child? And then look at Elizabeth's response. Here's where I want us to close up this morning. 23 through 25. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And then his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. She said, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So when we pray, we want God to answer our prayers immediately, but God doesn't always do that. In fact, he may not answer our prayers the way we had hoped at all. So the question is, is God sovereign or is he not? And for you and I, as we live in relationship with God, do we trust that he's good and that he's going to do what's right? Will I follow him no matter what? And will I let him be enough for me? No matter what comes into my life, no matter what gets left out of my life, is Jesus enough for you? And so here's how I want us to close this morning, just two ways to think about praying as we wrap things up. I'm going to ask MK to come back up. We're going to sing a last song together, and then we're going to participate in communion with one another this morning. But some of us need to take a moment this morning as we sing this last song and just express to God, hey, I'm yours no matter what. And in this moment, just to reflect, some of us just need to be in that place where we go, God, you know the desires of my heart. You know what I've been asking for. You know where I've been. You know where I wrestle. You know what I struggle with. But no matter what comes into my life and no matter what gets left out of my life, I'm yours no matter what. I trust you as the sovereign God of my life. And then there's others of us that have grown weary in praying for something. You've gone for a long time in your life praying for God to do something in someone's life, praying for God to change a situation. And you've just grown weary in that. And maybe you've even gotten to a place where you just stopped praying. Maybe it's just been a point of resignation for you that you've said, well, I, I guess God's just not going to do that. Let me just encourage you this morning not to give up in prayer. You never know what God's going to do. He doesn't have to do what you're asking. But when you get weary of praying, God remembers your past prayers. If you're at a place where you just can't pray right now, 
God still remembers. In fact, Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. So for you today, when you think about what you're praying for, what you need, what you want, and maybe you've just grown weary of it, just take a moment as we close and just again say, God, I trust you. And I don't know how you're going to answer this or when you're going to answer this or if you're going to answer it in the way that I want, but I'm still going to bring it and put it before you. And I'm going to trust that you're going to do what's right and best. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.